Go. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the newest, fabulous episode 41 of Mana Screwed. And before we begin this evening, I would like to thank absolutely everybody at Milwaukee Magic Cards and Channel Fireball and all our lovely bros over at MTG Cast for being able to host this fine, fine excellence in broadcasting. Now, the suave voice you're listening to doesn't belong to just any man. And in fact, you could say that I'm above almost any man. That's right, folks. This is Jack LaCroix actually doing the intros this week. You know me, you love me, you hate me. I'm the Mr. Rogers of Magic. However, I've also got two very fine-feathered friends of mine this week. Uh, starting us off, we're going to have Robert. Hello again. And celebrating his birthday this week, which, I mean, Corbin, does that mean i got to jump up on a table like in a white dress and sing to you or anything? <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Thanks, so. I mean, I can do that. You know, it, that wouldn't be the, I don't want to talk about this on a war dress. It's awkward. But anyways, Corbin, everybody. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. And we've got a few things that might interest you this week. And we're going to start off with probably the looming giant in the room. And I'm sure Robert is more than ready to talk about this since you were out and about this weekend. GP Denver. I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. Oh, no, wait, I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something about doing coverage and stuff like that there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of very angry people knew you were there this weekend. I had a lot of love there, let me tell you. And I even got I even got uh, negative love from my wife who was watching, which was phenomenal. So, you know, it was the only person in the room that would trash me, and then all of a sudden they'd be like, but I love him. I'm like, thanks, honey. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice to have a lady off to the side giving you that moral support. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But let's talk a little bit about Grand Prix Denver. Um, a good dentist, oh, I'm going to butcher his last name, uh, won this week. It's his second limited championship in two years. Uh, Corbin, considering you're the closest thing to the pro we have right now. Uh, <laughs> That's a long way, though. Okay. Long way. <laughs> All right. Well, you're closer to the pro tour than Jack and myself, so how about that? Um Considering you're doing a PTQ this weekend, let's. What do you think about the ability of winning two limited championships within a two-year span? Well, I mean, winning any uh, limited event that large as a, as a Grand Prix is really impressive because, to me, limited is more skillful than constructed formats. Uh, just in that, you don't know going into each match what cards are important. You know how you need to play the the angle you need to take. So there's a lot more decision trees that come up throughout it, which is why I'm a, I'm a fan of it more than constructed formats. Um, so you know any player that can can pick up a, a couple wins in that it really shows. Uh, you know I think the the better Magic players are able to perform well at the limited events. Uh, you see the same people copy these. Uh, Grand Prix over and over again, and it's really just because they understand they understand magic and they understand the you know how to how to play the game to to, to win, and they're able to assess, uh, assess the situation on the fly, which is really important in in the format. What did you get to watch any of the coverage by any chance? Uh, I caught a little bit of it, not a lot. I was uh, celebrating my birthday, so I was uh, out of town. What did you? What did you think about the top eight with Martin Juza and Owen Turnwall and and the story of the tournament? Paul Chung. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a, a great top eight. You know, that's 
kind of like I'm saying, it's it, these people like Paul Chion comes out after years of not playing and plays in a couple of events, and all of a sudden he's in a top eight of an 800-person tournament. You know? it, uh, and it really just reinforces the fact to me that, you know, a lot of people complain about variants when they play Magic, and especially, you know, the common complaint you hear about Sealed is, oh, well, I opened a bad pool. You know, it's easy if I open up all these bombs. But you see the same people, tournament after tournament, uh, do very well, consistently well. So it really shows that there's a much greater depth to it than just the pool you open. Well, I think one of the fun things about this weekend was is that the interesting side story of what Grand Prix Press brought back to uh, Grand Prix Denver, and that was a lot of people sick. Uh, notably, Brian Kibler was basically – uh, they had a picture of him the day before on Friday where he was leaning over a table. And now Brian Kibler, for being, quote, the sexiest man in magic, a very white person, <laughs> uh, very pale skinned, uh, looked like Casper the Friendly Ghost the first day of the tournament. I mean, literally, he was that pale. So you're and, telling me that he actually blended in with the rest of the crowd? Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> how? Although, although I don't know how, because when he walks into a room, the few ladies that were there, their heads actually turned. So you know, that's because I'm behind them. I mean, they, obviously. Oh wow! Well, see, they were calling your name. You just missed out on it. Uh, he uh, managed to get another top eight, and they did uh, a draft coverage of him. And it was interesting because what he was getting passed around was awful. I mean, these cards he was getting were just, I mean, like you couldn't put a real competitive deck together with it. And you've done drafting, uh, a lot of drafting, right, Corbin? I have, yeah. Okay. What does it feel like when the cards go around the table and there's just nothing there. Well, it, it certainly doesn't feel as good as when you, you know, start off in this format. Say you pick up an effect card pack one, and then you get a bunch of effect, uh, you know. But I think that really, it's a much tougher skill to do well when the cards aren't just coming to you. And it really requires the ability to. You have to be open. You have to be open to the cards coming around and see what should be gone that isn't, and really move into that because, you know, people think that. You know, if your first six picks of the draft, uh, you know, are just a bunch of junk, you're going to end up with a bad deck. And, you know, that's not true because you only need 23 cards and you get a lot of cards to get there. So, you know, you can rainbow pick your first five picks. Uh, you know, they can be all different colors, all bad cards, but, you know, something has to be open at the table. So if you're able to spot the signals and, and jump into what you need to go to, you know, that's a skill that can really help you salvage drafts like that and increase your one percentage. And, uh, you know, somebody like Kibler obviously has that ability. And, you know, you can see it in a situation like that where, you know, you see the cards he's getting. You're just like, how could he ever win? But, you uh, you know, he finds the synergies and he puts together a competitive deck and then he, you know, just, just plays it very well. Well, really, that's what separates the pros from the common players. Though, it's just pure card evaluation. But how, how difficult is it when you open when you open your pack, your pack to look at? And all three decks, all three packs you open, have no first pick gold or gold or mythic bombs in it. How difficult is it to build a good sealed deck without getting at least one gold bomb 
in your deck? It's in sealed. It means you really have to build your deck with that in mind, knowing that you do not have the bombs to compete with other people. And what that means is you have to either build your deck uh, either very aggressively, you know, so you can try to beat out their bombs, or very controlling, so that you can handle and control their bombs, and then went through that route. What you can't do is, you know, put together kind of a a mid-range deck that doesn't have a clear focus. which when you have a bunch of bombs, you can kind of get away with that because you can just stay in the game and then land one monster card, you know, to take over for you. When you don't have that, you really have to build a deck and not just a pile of cards, and you have to have a plan, and you have to be focused, and you have to understand how you're going to deal with all the uh, mythics from your opponents because people are going to open bombs, and you have to have a way to deal with them. And you have to to know going in what that plan is going to be. Is it... Is it that, I mean, because it seemed like, I don't want to say he was frustrated, but it almost seemed like it was, you could tell when he was sitting down building the deck that you could just see that he had to go a direction and it almost like he didn't want to go in that direction. I mean, I mean, I guess that's where my question comes into play is, is it, it's, it's got to be tremendously challenging when you're just not staring at what you want to look at. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, at the uh, Besiege pre-release, I went Phyrexia and ended up with not a playable in Beck deck. And that's, you know, that's incredibly frustrating. But you have to, uh, you know, it takes the ability to set aside your frustration and what you'd like to see and what you, you know, should have gotten and uh, just work with what you have and make the best deck out of what you have. And, uh, you know, obviously somebody somebody like, like Brian Kibler is, is very good at that sort of thing and very good at handling variants uh, as most of the, the you know big name magic pros are, and uh, you know sometimes you don't get what you want, but you can still make uh, a workable deck. And you know sometimes if you, that's just what you have to do. You just have to you know put the deck together that you think has the best chance, even if it's really frustrating to to do so. Now, Jack, you saw a little bit of the coverage. <laughs> yes, I did. There was there was a question asked this week from our friend our friend Megan from okay. Life from MTG Mom and blah 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 blah. And she asked, What would you like to see in coverage? Your comment was very thankful and I appreciate you know you mentioning me in that. But realistically, what is you as a fan of magic? I'll, I'll use her question. What do you want to see when it comes to coverage? Um, besides to be myself, completely honest. Oh, besides, bes- besides your knee quivering, yes. moan-inducing <laughs> self, Robert. Obviously, yes. um, you know, there's a lot of very big names in the community that go to these things, and they never actually like compete in the main event. They just kind of like hang around for the, uh, I guess you could say, the attention or however you want to put that. Um, while getting interviews with pros are really cool, there's a lot of people out there that simply do not get the appreciation they deserve, like um, Brian David Marshall and a couple of others. And it would be really awesome to, like, I don't know, have these guys, like, yapping with you or getting interviewed or what have you. Or even, like, if you want to do something that people normally don't consider, like talk to some of the dealers or perhaps even talk to some of the judges. Actually, this actually this week I kind of uh, this weekend last weekend I did that. Um, I pulled in the uh, head judge of the main event table. Uh-huh. Um, I pulled her in. Uh, outside of being in 
incredibly gorgeous, uh, which was not the reason why I pulled her in. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Good save, buddy. <laughs> I'm a happily married man with three children. Come on, Jack. You know, he was just doing it. For, he was just doing wait, it for the coverage. Wait, 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 wait. Are you are you a happily married man with three children, or do you have an elaborate cover-up, sir? Oh God, yeah. One of those it'd be, two. It'd be, a, it'd be a hell of a cover-up, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> and we uh, brought her in because it was in between rounds and the thing was done. And needless to say, sat down and talked to her, and she had won uh, some Star City event with, I think it was a Legacy Star City Games event that she won. So not only did she know how to judge, she also knew how to actually play the game at a real competitive level. And jokingly, uh, one of the matches she had to win to go through the field was beating her husband, <laughs> <laughs> which was funny because they both they both played the same deck, so she had to beat him in the mirror match, and I thought that was so funny. It's like, oh man, it, it just it was one of those things. And I tried to do that. I brought in uh, Greg from the Four Spikes. I brought in. I tried to bring in. And I made as many plugs as I humanly could for everybody on the planet, uh, including Sam, who direct messaged me saying uh, from the Raiders to Fear Pelza box going, Tell, say my name on air so the guy watching it with me knows that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was so funny. Uh, I think there is room for uh, everybody. I think you need someone like like a Rashad or someone like myself to kind of lead the direction. But yeah, it doesn't hurt to have a pro in the booth. It doesn't hurt to have someone who, you know, is overly knowledgeable about the cards, but I do think you need a little of both. And if it was all pros all the time, there was my wife who doesn't know a diddly squat about magic. She was, wondering half the time during the semifinals and finals what was actually going on because the match was playing and the three of them were talking about themselves. <laughs> so I don't know if that bothers anybody else or not. It, it does bother me. I I can't stand watching matches where the commentators will just go off on a tangent and, you know, three minutes later, you know, they try to update you on the game. and You just you can't hear what the players are saying, so it's very hard to follow what's going on. I mean, I know, like, during the typical coverage weekend, I mean, there are literally hours of downtime that they can talk about whatever they want. You know, I just want, when a match is happening, them to talk about the match itself. Yeah, good, because that's something I wanted to hear, because I just, it's difficult, because you're really so focused on, you know, making sure that the match is being told properly. And the one thing that people don't realize and that's something people might want to realize is that when you're looking at home and you see the screen and the cards look kind of blurry to you and it's hard to tell what they are outside of the picture, that's the same view we get. So it's not like I'm getting this crystal clear picture of the card. So a lot of times when the card's kind of blurry and sideways and it's hard to tell what it is and the hard to tell the name on it, that's the same problem we have at home. Uh, they're alive doing the coverage. Yeah. Why, why is that? Is that just, is that a camera thing or, uh, you know? I, I think it's the camera. And I think my mistake was, is I did not bring my glasses that see far away well. And even though we had a 17 inch monitor, uh, 
without the side effects. Like you got you get all the you know the point scores and stuff like that. We actually get to see two screens. One has the screen you see, and one has like the full screen without all the advertising on it. Right. So that's why when all of a sudden they'll hear us say, we need them to move the cards down, that's because literally we know they're off screen. So we're trying to bring the cards back down for you guys to actually see what's going on. So there's a lot of that that has to go on. There's a lot of little technical things that happen to make it difficult to make sure that the show's going in the right direction for you. And the one thing I loved is, the people that say, yeah, I could do this in a heartbeat. <laughs> Believe me, it, ain't, it is not easy because... I think just the fact we actually get a podcast off the ground every week consistently proves that getting any sort of telecommunic anything off the ground is not easy in the slightest. <sighs> no, it's it's very difficult. And it is it is really hard when you're when you're in the booth, uh, you know, to, to really be aware of everything that's going on and not get caught up in, in something small and in the technical details. Because I've been, uh, you know, I've called I've called some football games and that sort of thing, high school football games in the area, and you know something will happen in the in the booth where you're at that'll distract you, you know, but you still have people people listening to you who don't understand what's going on. So you know, most people, I would say, you know, ninety percent of the people watching it literally have no idea what it's like. And and as you know from doing that kind of broadcasting, it's difficult. I mean, it's it, it's not a it's not a static situation. It's a fluid situation, which means things change on a drop of a dime. And unlike a football play where you can see stuff developing a lot of times, like in situations of when they're desperate, you know they're going to go four wide and they're going to be chucking it all over the field. So you right. can pretty much prepare yourself in a mind, okay, I'm looking for 87 because 87 is their best player and you know he's going to throw the ball to him five out of eight times. So you can start pre-planning in your head. Magic's a very fluent sport, and one of the one of the things that makes it very difficult is when people hold cards, they're shuffling them. Mm -hmm. And we would love to be able to give you insight of, oh, he's holding a pyroclasm, or he's holding, you know, slagstorm. I think it was one match we were trying to determine if the guy had slagstorm in his hand. And every time he would stop to where you think we'd see it, he would move it. And it's difficult to give you as much insight as we want to give when his cards in their hands are moving faster than the eye can see. You know, I just, it's difficult, let's just say. But well, I mean, Robert, I don't know, like, how you couldn't simply keep up with the schizophrenic pace of people shuffling cards. I mean, that's that's just... I'm disappointed in that. <laughs> I think magic players need to emulate poker players and, and just sit quietly. Just no need to shuffle the cards around. Just hold them up for the camera and don't don't shuffle them. Make it well, so much easier. Well, I think you've noticed that a lot, especially that's a very good segment. You talk about poker and how poker's evolved. I mean, literally, now at some of the events, they get their two cards they're taking them, separating them, putting them right underneath where the camera is, so you get to see the cards right away, you know. And then they're picking them up and putting them in their hand. So, I know it's very hard to get people out of habits, and 
for some reason, the ADHD generation is slapped in the magic full form. But if they could just slow it down and even just kind of occasionally just give us a sneak peek of what's in their hand, it would make it so much easier for us to give better commentary on it. Yeah. And see, I like, I don't know, I'm kind of, sometimes I'll shuffle, but most of the time I like to, you know, look at what I draw, look at my hand, and then just set it face down, uh, you know, so you don't look like you're searching for an answer, reading a card, you know, you just, you know, I don't know if people are able to use it, but it is possible to give away a lot of information. I like to set them down, just set them face down on the table and, you know, think it through my head, but just do it very quietly and, and stoically, which, you know, that doesn't help, I guess, for the camera if you're setting your cards down, but I don't like the shuffling. I don't like when people do that. Do me a favor. When you get your feature match on Gigi's Live, <laughs> just hold the cards in your hand and kind of gently lean them over towards the camera. Yeah. I'll do that. Kind Every just... time I draw a card, I'm just going to I'm gonna put it right up to the camera and then I'm going to set it back down. <laughs> kind of hold it up, whoosh, put it right back down. See your opponent. Now, that would be a great distraction to your opponent. Kind of pick up be. the card, boom, put it back down in your hand. That would be an interesting technique, though. Uh, what is what is some of your guys' favorite parts of the the coverage that they do? I mean, and what would you like to see? I know Jackie talked a little bit about something that could be done to make the coverage better, but what would uh, what, what would what do you like about the coverage, and what would you like to see improved? Um. If I had to be honest, there's nothing really I could see improved save for what I mentioned. And as for far as what I liked about the coverage, um, everybody played off each other very well. And just from my own experience getting this podcast together in Monday Night Magic, it's very important to, like, when you're doing any sort of telecommunications, to actually enjoy the people you're doing it with. Like, you don't necessarily have to be friends, but at least be able to carry on a conversation. And if you get into an argument, don't take it to a personal level. And you guys did that perfectly, and I loved it. Yeah, I think I think that's important. And, you know, the the people on camera have to interact well. As far as the, you know, but some you don't have a lot of control over that. Either they do or they don't. You know, you can only try it and then learn. Uh, I really like it when when uh, the hosts have guests on. You know, you see a a pro passing by, sit them down and ask them ask them how they're doing, and they just give you quick little stories. It uh really kind of makes it interactive. Uh, you know, and you know it makes people think, hey, maybe if I do really well, I can get brought in here or. That sort of thing. It just I find that is one of the parts I enjoy most on the coverage. You know, I also I'm I don't know the feasibility of it, and I'm sure it's something that everyone who does coverage is looking into. But I think uh, a higher definition shot, like a, a better camera, could uh, actually go a long way towards the watchability of it. Because as you were talking about, when it is fuzzy, it's it can be it can be kind of difficult, and especially if you're watching and you know what a card is in their hand, but the announcers have it wrong. You're just like screaming at the television, at the uh, computer screen. But, uh, you know, they have a very expensive rig uh, tripod set up for the cameras. And, you know, I'm sure it's coming as the coverage becomes, you know, matures a little bit over the next couple of years. The cameras will be upgraded and it'll just get a better, better picture for everyone at home. Well, I will tell you this the amount of equipment that we have to set up and take down and the price of it can basically be a small car. Oh yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I've I've worked on a couple like small films in the area, and uh, there's a ton of equipment and everything. Like even a little attachment for camera is really expensive. That's a, there's a lot of work there. 
Well, and one of the beautiful things is is people don't know this, and that's why one of these days I'm going to have Rashad on Meta Magic, even though he joked about it constantly, saying, "Oh yeah, when are you going to have me on?" Da 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 da. And uh, he he walks into these events, and he's like a rock star. I mean, people are coming up to him, high fiving him, giving him hugs. You know, you know, how's it going, man? We love you. And it's like, I, I thought I was walking in with Elvis. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of interesting to see how just how popular he really is. And, yeah, how, and I never, I never even heard of him until Gigi's life started. So, I mean, just he's loved by everybody. We uh, got there day one, dropped off the equipment late Friday, and uh, Bill Stark of the Starkington Post was playing a cube draft, and we're getting ready to walk out the door. And I, I kind of vaguely remembered him, what he looked like, and he's like, "Rashad, stop!" And it's like. Bam. And then all of a sudden it turned into like an hour where he was just like talking and it's like, wow, dude, it's like late, man. And, you know, some of us actually have to be here tomorrow. <laughs> but it just it was amazing to see just how popular he really is. And there's a lot of work that he and Rusty do that a lot of people don't see to when the show's going. It, there's a lot of cues and making sure things are up to date and getting people in the right place. And when we had that audio problem, delay problem, I mean, the two of them were like scrambling like chickens, you know, trying to fix it and get things done. And I mean, I give them all the credit in the world. It ain't an easy job. That's absolutely for sure. And I was very happy to go out there and very blessed to be on coverage and Hopefully, if I didn't terrorize enough people and scare them enough, hopefully they'll have me back on again. But there is one thing I think they could do better, and that is kind of the role I'm going to pseudo-fill when I'm in Dallas, is they need to take a wizard's cue and do more. They're trying to do that with the drafts coverage, but I think they need to do that at a standard tournament with more deck tech. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Have yeah. have Chapin do a 10-minute thing where we're going to go over his deck and then go pull Brian Kibler who's playing Cog, you know, whatever. Or get, you know, get someone who's like 8-0 who's playing some rogue version of Tezzeret and give them the opportunity to get their deck and put it up on air. Yeah, and deck techs are... Not the most complicated thing to do. I mean, you grab a camera and you talk to a person. And, exactly. You know, it's a lot more difficult to do live. But if you're just recording it and then throwing it up, uh, you know, during a break, there's plenty of breaks during events. Uh, you know, you could uh, it could really help. Uh, you know, get get more people involved, and uh, you know, viewers like that a lot better than watching somebody talk about their lunch sometimes. So. No, and and that's something that I was I was going to try to do. Uh, my only two problems is is one is I don't have a camera good enough to do that, and two I would need someone to hold it while I do that. Um, otherwise, what I'm having to do is audio tape them, you know, audio deck tape their deck text, and then right. put it up as a podcast. But I kind of want to do it like seamlessly. You know what I'm saying? Like do it now and then do it all day Saturday, and then Sunday if they make it. 
to be able to put their thing up there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it gives you a lot of, uh, you know, extra footage just kind of in the can that you can use. Yep. I will tell you this. The most heartbreaking thing I've seen so far to GP was uh, Christian Calcano, very good, very young. Another young one. Another young one like you, Corbin, you know. <laughs> Still in their, you know, still in their, still in their young youth age, he was fourth going into the final round, and all he needed to do was shake hands to get in. Right. Problem is, he got matched up against the number eight seed, who had to play to get in, and he lost. Aww. that's that's the worst sight. And there's nothing you can do about your tiebreakers either. You know, you, if you're in that position, you're in that position. It's rough. How yeah. depressing does it have to feel as a player to work through 14 rounds to put yourself in a position where nine times out of ten you're going up against someone who's the same amount of points as you. You can shake hands, enjoy a round off, get into the top eight, and then to have that happen. Yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking. I've been with uh, the worst story I have about this. I was with a friend, and we went to uh, we traveled to Arkansas for a PDQ. It was like a five hour drive, and uh, he played well all day. He ended up uh, he thought he could draw in. He drew. He ended up ninth place on breakers, and he, I mean obviously he's crushed. And then just that insult to injury. We found out that everyone in the top eight got a box, and ninth place got literally no prize support. But it's you know. That's 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 rough, but you know, that's magic, I guess. So, you know, it just comes with the territory, really. Wow, that really does suck. Sorry. Um, yeah, that was a bad PTQ because I think I ended up in like 12th place, and another person we went with was in like 14th. It was it was a bad trip. All right, well, let's get off of GP Denver, Jack. And what's what else is on the queue? Well, I'll tell you exactly what up next on the queue. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's search for the G. Um, uh, or SDG, I should say. Oh. Uh, since I'm so generous and so generous of a co-host, I will say it's Star City Games. Edison is going to be this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. And, we're kinda, you know, I'm kind of curious. What do you guys think is going to be out there in standard? Corbin? Well, uh, well there's going to be a lot of cobblade, I'm sure of that. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's hard the most to believe, popular deck in standard. It's the most dominant deck. I, I just I don't see it, Corbin. Maybe this is the weekend that everybody decides, you know, screw it. Like I'm Jesus. going rogue. Yeah, if I don't like Jesus, I'm going to play something else. No, but I'm I'm excited for the event uh, because to really see uh, you know where the format is going to react to Cobblade. Uh, you know, I don't have any tag guy. I haven't I haven't spent a ton of time on Sandard in the last couple of weeks, so I'm not sure you know what decks even have a great matchup against Cobblade. But there are certainly artifact hate cards for the sorts. You know, the question is going to be, can somebody find those things that can really help you against Cobblade while, you know, not losing to the Jace in the deck and that sort of thing? And, uh, you know, I'm also really interested to see where Tezzeret goes from here because, you know, that deck is, is just awesome and extremely powerful. And they think they have what I think is one of the best answers to, uh, to Cobblade at the moment, and that is Tumble Magnet. Because you can just tap down their their guy they put their sword on and you you time walk them and 
know, you can buy yourself three turns with that of them not doing anything with the sword. I think, uh, I think that card's well positioned. I don't, you know, I don't know how the deck gets in. I don't know how Tezzeret's going to be. Uh, but I'm really interested to see what people bring out to, to play against Callblade. Well, do you think it's going to be nothing but perhaps like hating on Callblade via like uh, artifact removal and permanent destruction? Well, see, you know, the thing is, I'm not, I'm not sure how powerful, you know, just straight artifact removal is because that's a very reactive card. And you it's know, also a very like narrow client. way to tackle the problem, really. Right, and you know, they can just chase you out, or you know, the deck was good before it got swords, obviously. So, right. You know, I think that's why I think something like Tumble Magnet uh, and cards in that vein that can answer it while not being quite as uh, narrow. Sucky? Uh, yeah. <laughs> have uh, have the chance to, to really help out against it because, you know, I, I'm really excited to see Tezzeret decks because I love the deck. I was, you know, building it before Paris and working on it with some people. We came, you know, fairly close to it, but obviously not what uh, they had. And also I'm excited to see uh, Martin Yuza's uh, version of Tezzeret that had uh, Kadolta Forge Master in it. So I think Standard is about as exciting as it's going to get right now. See see where the format goes. What do you think about the possibility now that if all the hate moves towards Kago, that Valakut may not get as much hate and therefore be effective again? I, I think that that, uh, you know, can 100% happen because Valak, it's not like Valakut was a bad deck in the first place. And what a lot of people, you know, might not notice about Paris if they just look at the top eight or the player of the year match is that Valakut actually had uh, a fair amount of players who ended undefeated day on the standard portion with it. Uh, so it's not like the deck is bad. And if people ha- are writing it off, I think it definitely has the tools to you know, adjust and, and do what it does because it has the most powerful most powerful engine in the game in Primeval Titan and uh, and Valakut. So it's just a matter of adjusting to what it's expect you know, adjusting to, to Cobblade and, and Tezzeret and all the aggro decks and uh, just finding the shell, the cards to to augment the natural shell it has, which is very powerful. So I, I think it's definitely premature to write it off. Well, then you would be expecting Boros to make another run again this weekend. Um, you know, Boros is Boros is, is strong, and I, I you know, like I said, I'm not 100% up to date on standard. I don't know how it is against Callblade, and Callblade has the Silvok life staff to go get. Um, but you know, any deck like Boros that has it has a powerful powerful aggro cards, and it can. It has access to all the same things that Cobblade does. You know, it, it, it definitely is a powerful deck, and it did well at the Pro Tour. You know, it can definitely win. It's All these decks, you know, they're good decks. The question is going to be how they adjust to Cobblade, because Cobblade was the best deck at the Pro Tour. You know, and now it's a week later. Everyone's had time to, you know, tune their matchup. And, you know, it's really premature to write off a lot of these decks that have been good just because they didn't necessarily perform well at one event. What do you think? Of, you said you talked about your version of Tezzeret. Um, was your straight blue black? What was your Tezzeret build? Well, it's interesting because we actually started off on Grixis colors and we had red red for Slagstorm. And for a while we had Adolfo Phoenix because it, uh, you know, it was just a powerful thing. 
powerful card in that archetype. But eventually we did settle into just a, a more typical blue-black route. Um, you know, you lose, you do lose the sweeping ability of red. But, you know, the other thing is uh, Kodolta Red had just broken out before that tournament. So the red was necessary to combat that. If that deck kind of falls off, then, you know, maybe the red isn't necessary. Maybe you can get by with a uh, Black Sun Zenith. So there's uh, there's viability to both, both blue-black and blue-red and Grixis colors. So you know, okay, we'll see. Like I think there's a lot of a lot of room to grow with that deck. So all right, that that works with me. Um, so is there any other deck that you might think either one of you might think that might sneak through this weekend, or are we just looking at those standard kind of four and everything else kind of will not be a real factor? Well, I mean, obviously you're going to have those standard four dominating at the final tables, but standard right now, and you're going to be shocked that I'm saying these words, is actually very, very healthy, and I maintain the opinion that there's plenty of roguish potential out there. Just a moment ago, you mentioned Coltotha Forgemaster. I mean, honestly, who would have thought that deck would be seen play in a pseudo-competitive deck at any point? Yeah, the, the format is, I mean, it's infinitely more interesting than it was a month ago. So, I, you know, thank God Miriam Siege came out, because I didn't like playing Standard because it felt like, you know, just coin flips based on your matchup. And now there's more than the, you know, same three decks. So there's a lot of room for innovation. You know, you, people just got 150 new cards to play with, and they've only been one tournament to do so. So, you know, we'll see what comes out of it. Well, that's cool. Um, Jack, next? By all means, we've also got Corbin. You know what? Tell us a little bit about your article, man. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I am a great listener, and I would love to hear about it. All right. Well, uh, the article I wrote last week on, on quiet speculation, uh, I, I titled it, I'm not good with titles, but I titled it The Importance of Evaluation. And what I did in that is, you know, I looked back on myself as a financial writer. Uh, you know, I looked at the cards I had said to pick up in the last few months uh, and, you know, the cards I had said to sell. And uh, there were a couple of reasons I did that. You know, first of all, I don't mind bragging about the stuff I did well. Uh, my ego does not have a Twitter feed, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, but I wasn't going to the opportunity. Hello, John Medina. <laughs> <laughs> and Kibler now. Kibler's ego's got its own Twitter now, too. Yes, it does. So, but, uh, so what I did is I looked back at some of the things I had suggested picking up and, uh, you know, a, a couple of those that I guess I'll go ahead and brag about it now. I, uh, Actually, after Kansas City, I suggested picking up Sword of Body and Mind because uh, of the blue-green Genesis Wave deck that Conley had there and the fact that Boros beat it, like, horribly said it was a terrible matchup for him. So, you know, my thought was, Boros is going to see some rise in the metagame. This this price card's going to go up. And I also suggested picking up Some Forge Mystic at the same, for the same reason. Uh, and obviously, those both turned out very well. But then, you know, really the reason... I wanted to write the article was to look back at some of the things that I didn't do so well because it's just kind of a, I guess the pistol I'm on as far as the financial writing and magic goes is a lot of people will say, pick up this card, pick up this card, buy this card. 
after one event or they do it in an article and it's never brought up again. And, you know, somewhere out there, maybe somebody's new to, you know, the financial side of things. They take that advice and it doesn't pan out. And all of a sudden they have a terrible experience and it, it never is brought back up again. So, you know, kind of something I've been advocating for for a while is accountability and on the financial side of things, because you are playing. If people listen to you and take your advice, which is obviously why you write, uh, you know, it's their money and it's their dinner ultimately. So I feel like you have to be responsible with that and know that you have like you're going to have some influence on me, on what some people are doing out there. So, you know, I look back on some cards that I uh, was wrong on, such as Genesis Wave. I thought would see a lot more of an increase than it did. Um, and then I also, you know, some of the cards I totally missed, such as Night Exemplar is uh, now apparently a $10 card which was just a complete shock to me. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of what I did. I wanted to go back and, and kind of grade myself. Do you want to explain why it's a $10 card now and it's not seeing any play? Well, the best I can come up with is it's uh, the casual markets. I mean, the the catalyst for it shooting up was the spoiling of Mirren Crusader and Phyrexian Crusader because those are both knights. Uh you know, I guess Wizards has been pushing knights. You know, I guess a lot of people, a lot of people want to make casual decks uh, that are knight themed. You know, there's a lot of cards that are driven by casual or EDH players. Their prices are that people don't realize, such as that, and uh, things like Elvish Piper that's been reprinted a million times are worth, you know, three or four dollars uh, just because of their kitchen table appeal. So I think that's what happened with Knight Exemplar is it's just uh, there was a run on the card from those people who wanted to build their night decks and it shot up. So that's, you know, that's, there's no other application for it in any format. It's never seen competitive play. Uh, but I guess people just really like nights. Cause that was my question is, you know, I, I got them ahead of time before they jumped like that. And I guess I'm, I don't want to say kind of confused by it, but, you know, there's no practical tournament application for them. I mean, and I'm staring at my night deck right now as as we talk, and it's, you know, it's Student of Warfares, uh, it's Honor of the Pures, Knight of the Meadow Green, Knight of the White Orchids, Seagull Paladins, Mirrodin Crusaders. Um, I even have Still Moon Cavalier in there because it is a knight. Yeah. Uh, the Knight Exemplars, the Hero of the Blade Holds. I mean... You know, that isn't such a horribly impossible deck to put together. Is it competitive? No, <laughs> absolutely not. You know. Yeah, and, and Student of Warfare actually, you know, had a run-up in price as well. So, you know, as tournament magic players or people who are associated with, you know, tournament magic, we, our focus is on, you know, what just top aided, what card is strong and standard or is legacy playable. Uh, but, you know, tournament magic players are not the majority of the community. Most people play, play casually, play at home with their cards. And if, you know, some cards like elves are very popular uh, at, in casual circles, and apparently knights are too. And that, I mean, that really drives the demand for that card. And it's something that it just goes over the head of those people who just follow the tournament scene and focus on that. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what What is some of the difficulties of writing an article? Because I can't write articles to save my life. I mean, I've thought about it, but it's like, 
it goes into a thought stage and then disappears. Robert, is it? Are you just intimidated by writing, or is it writing an article for Magic specifically? No, it's it's not writing in general because I can talk till I'm blue in the face. No, it's, not you. No, not me. Uh, it's the fact that when you read quality articles, like I do and we all do, it's thinking that okay. This person has so much more credibility at it than I do. And yet, you know, it's a challenge because you don't want to put something out there and it completely stink, <laughs> you know. Well, that might be true, but you can't let that fear cripple you, Robert. I mean, you've got to just work at it and work at it because, look, everybody sucks when they first start writing anything. It doesn't matter if it's MTG-related poetry or anything. I mean, do you think Hemingway just sat up on his typewriter one day and penned something and it was excellent. Do you think Shakespeare just sat down one day and he's like, I'm just going to write this girl a sonnet because women love sonnets and it came out excellent <laughs> on the first try. That's not realistic. Letting, if you assail that fear and just push it away from you, then yeah, like your first article might suck, but every article that you work upon after that, the more effort and work you put into it, they're going to gradually keep getting better. You know, and that's I, just, now I I don't I know very little about writing magic articles because what I write is just for my very craptastic and nudity filled blog, but just for my own experience and trying to get my own writing off the ground, just don't worry about it, man. Just do it. Don't know, worry I, about looking like crap, man. I can't write quality stuff like Corbin does, man. You know. Well, I, if some people think my stuff's quality, that's great. Sometimes I feel like. I just feel like I don't have a good article and people, you know, really like it that week and other weeks. I'll feel like I've written something good and, and people don't necessarily love it. Uh, you know, the important thing, you have to put yourself out there. Like Jack's saying, you, you can't you can't be afraid of putting out something that people are going to hate or that, you know, would suck. Uh, you, you just have to be receptive to feedback. And as a writer, the, the thing I would want most of all from all my articles and my readers is not somebody to get on there every week and tell me how great I am. It's somebody to tell me how I can improve and, you know, just give honest Absolutely. feedback about it. Because that's the only way you improve. Absolutely. And it's, it's like I've said a couple of times before. You know, it might hurt to hear people hate on you or be honest with your writing or something like that, but haters are some of the best people you can have when it comes to writing because they keep you honest. They keep you constantly guessing how you can improve not only yourself, but what you're crafting on. And, you know, it's, it's good to have, yeah, it's nice to have people say, Oh, I really enjoy you doing this podcast or, Oh, I like what you had to say in that article. But it's also nice to have the honesty that other people bring when they say, Hey, you could have done better on this or, Hey, you could have improved here. I found the uh, the Star City Games search where they've been doing the writing search, and uh, you know I don't always read all the articles that the people write, but the one thing I, I do read every week is the judges' comments. Uh, I found those to be like just very enlightening as to these are people who have been writing magic articles for a long time. They know what what goes over well with the audience, and they can, they, you know, they're basically telling you how to do it in these comments. And uh, you know I've tried to. Even though obviously they're not critiquing my writing, I've tried to take a lot of the principles they talk about to heart and, and apply them because you got to, you, you know, learn from the best out there. And somebody like Pat Chapin, uh, you know, grading your article, I imagine, is just a huge boon to those people who are are a part of that competition. Well, no doubt that uh, if Chapin's willing to throw his thoughts in on something, you know, it's going to be worth it. Um, let's 
let's go to the last subject of the day, Jack, because I think right now we are somewhere. We're somewhere we're about around an hour. An hour so. We're around an hour, just perfect timing. So, let Jack, why don't you talk about what the last subject is on this week's show? All right, rounding us out this evening, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have extended PTQ season. It's you know it's starting out pretty soon. Uh, Robert put here that it's in full form. I would argue that, but. That's unimportant. What is important is what do you think is going to do well this season, and you know what are you playing? Uh, me personally, being a horrible bastard, I'm playing fairies, and the deck, in my opinion, is still extremely strong, but it doesn't define the format. Fairies is a very intimidating deck because it has been strong consistently for so many years, but it doesn't completely control extended like a lot of people seem to think it is. And I think when they see, look to the new extended and how extended is shaked out, they look at decks like fairies and they're like, oh, you know, why do I want to get beat by the same deck that handed me my ass on a silver platter a couple of years back? No, I'm just not going to play extended. That's not true. There's very capable and very strong decks out there, such as, you know, like uh, War, not, I'm about to say War Chief, um, Wargate. There's Wargate, there's uh, any of the um, Omen decks, there's tons of stuff out there to be playing, but really, I'm the wrong guy to be talking to. We have a wonderful article writer here with us. Corbin, what do you have to say on Extended? Well, yeah, I've done my best to not play Fairies this season. I'm actually getting ready to, I got my first BTQ this weekend, and I'll probably hit up one a couple weeks after that. Um, you know, what I like about the season is that, yeah, you have fairies. Yeah, you have Jund. Uh, yeah, you have, uh, you know, just straight Valkut, Titan, Ramp, uh, which are ports from Standard. And I think that's good because it gives people the opportunity to play decks that have rotated. It's but a great jump like, too. Yeah, it's, 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 to me, it's very good because it goes, it's far enough back that it hasn't just been, you know, this is the first season we've had it, but it hasn't just been double Standard because there mm-hmm. have been Standard decks, but there have been, a ton of, of new decks as well. And I think that makes it, it's been a good format so far. Yeah. I mean, if anything, um, you know, standard is kind of hard to get into sometimes and it can't, it does have its financial barriers. So let's just be honest here. Extended, however, you know, yeah, you do have a couple of cards like Bitter Blossom and Thought Seeds that are up there, but for the most part, I find it to be a much more approachable format. And I would argue almost the most approachable format right now outside, outside of limited. Yeah. I think it's really good. It, it's kind of like Legacy in that there are just a ton of viable archetypes, but unlike Legacy, you don't need dual lands to play those. So you know, or Force I'm, of Will, right? Or any of those, you know, really expensive cards in of or just cards that are hard to find. Even, um, you know, I'm playing. I started out with the uh, Green White Benjamin deck that Kibler played at GP Atlanta um, because I was looking for a deck that just to beat Fairies and to beat Jund. Uh, and you know, his comments said it had a a good matchup against those. And uh, I've come off of that. I've been convinced by some some better players around me that Green White Trap is actually extremely powerful. And uh, that's what I'm going to be running. And I've been really happy with that deck because it, it does the most powerful thing in the format. I mean, Cryptic Command's good, but, uh, you know, I can cast them or cool and hard cast them or cool on turn three. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I like to play Sounds combo good. decks the best I can do in combo in this format. So... Well, what do you think about a deck like, I don't know, maybe Time Save or something like that? Um, a couple of the more roguish, shall we say, corners of the MTG building community are saying that it's got potential. I love Time Save. I, uh, I wish it was, it was... I mean, the thing, the problem with Time Save is that 
if you include cards to not to not die to aggro matchups like the fog effects, then you know you dilute kind of your combo. And if you just go pure pure combo, you know you have a really hard time actually gold fishing faster than a lot of decks in the format. Uh, and you know Maelstrom Pulse exists, which can just time walk you really bad. Like I hate I tried to play border posts and block and getting a Maelstrom Pulse would just cause me to scoop. And the same thing can happen to you when you play time save. But, you know, those decks are out there, and if you find a good build and, you know, maybe run well, you can definitely uh, put up a strong finish with them. And that deck's really fun to play. I I personally am interested in seeing... It's weird because maybe it's because I read too many articles, but the new Elves Extended running four Green Sun Zenus in it, what do you think, Corver? Elves is strong. I mean, uh, they, it's, because... it's Elves Vengevine, too. Just so you yeah. know, it's, it's Elves with four Vengevines in it, too. Yeah, it, it attacks from multiple angles. I mean, uh, Combo Elves were a good standard deck, just, you know, when they were legal and standard with the cards that are now legal and extended. Uh, you know, it's a good deck. It can combo you. It can attrition you out with Vengevines. Uh, and it can just have some incredibly fast starts. And, you know, there's a lot of decks like that which is why the, the format to me is so great because a lot of it's dominated by fairies and John, but you know, you don't have to play those and you can be very competitive, not playing those decks. Uh, so that's, uh, I really like that about the format now. And it's a lot more interactive than it was when fairies was in standard. Uh, now that you have creeping tar pits and, uh, you know, other ways to play around that. So, well, it's got a fantastic mana base now. Yeah. The, the mana and extended is, Pretty, pretty nice. I mean, you can fetch up a, a three-color land, so, in Murmuring Bosk. That's cool. Well, guys, is that all we got this week? Corbin, you want to promote anything this week outside of the fact that it's your birthday and, you know... <laughs> it, it was my birthday. I turned 23. Um, no, oh. but if uh, any of you listening to this are, are interested in, in financial coverage, you know, I recommend checking out Quiet Speculation, because, you know, that's where I write every week, and, uh, those who have been following the site for the last month and are interested in investing in magic cards made a good, a good deal of money uh, with the advice of that site. And it's a community of like-minded people. Uh, you know, so if that's your, that's your sort of thing, I highly recommend checking that out. What's your article going to be about this week? Well, my article this week, actually, uh, I did a little research, a little uh, trolling around on blacklotusproject.com, which is one of my favorite sites. It tracks completed eBay sales of cards. Uh, so it, you can look on there and see what, you know, X card has sold for on average from eBay. And it charts it, you know, going back since this site was created uh, like a year and a half ago. So actually what I noticed uh, looking through there is a lot of the cards, the extended staples, such as Bitter Blossom, Reflecting Pool, Escape uh, Shift, that sort of thing, actually peaked out in the end of February or the end of January and have been dropping in price as we near February. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, we don't have another Grand Prix extended Grand Prix in the United States uh, left on the, on the calendar. Uh, the PTQ season uh, is in full form. I mean, but most people are already building their decks for that. Uh, so interest in the format has waned as far as uh, just pure demand for cards. So my article this week was 
uh, really uh, looking over Lorwyn block and detailing what cards are uh, that you should that are ready to sell. And then I specifically went through and found cards that maybe you didn't know were worth were worth money, uh, you know, but they actually are. And dig through your boxes and sell them while before those cards rotate. That's so cool. It's uh, I'm sure it's interesting if you're into if you're into finance. I'm sh- if you are not in that sort of thing, I can see it being a little dull. But yeah, that's what I did this week. Well, Jack, I don't know about you, but making money sounds good to me. You know, extra bills in my pocket. I mean, Robert, you have a problem with that to start with? I have lots as of As much as Tom <laughs> is paying us to do this podcast, I'm oh. severely disappointed in your lack of money manipulation, sir. I'm telling you, man, I am just rolling the dough. I can't, I can't, I can't tell you how much I get paid for doing all these podcasts. Corbin, your bribe you do, and or check are you do in like, the mail. I'm sorry, what? Go ahead. I said your bribe and or check is in the mail, my man. <laughs> That's great. I was going to say, Robert does like six podcasts a week. He's got to be rolling in the dough. Oh, yeah. I've been rolling the dough. It's, it's, right now, it's me and my cat. As we're staring at each other right now, doing a stare down here, yeah, from the money, yeah, from all the money and all the dough. So, I don't know. On that note, um, thank you again, Corbin. And like I said, you have an open invitation anytime if you'd like to come on and you know, because we we're always looking for different angles, and especially you know if the money angle also helps because a lot of people want to know you know, what their actual cards are worth and what they can get from it. So we can always use that. And also you're doing an extended PTQ this weekend. So, yeah, you know. thanks for having me on, guys. Good well, luck, man. Seriously. Yeah, knock them dead. You know, win. You know, do, do, represent us well because, Jack, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be glad to be home this weekend and relaxing with my family. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm going to be going out of town this week to play tons of Magic and actually get caught up on playing. I haven't played in about a week, which, ladies and gentlemen, once again is why Robert handed me over the casting duties this week, because I don't know anything about the game. It's been a total blackout for me. (laughs) But without further ado, I'm your lovely, probably one-time host for this week, Jack LaCroix. You can always reach me at jack at mtgcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jack LaCroix. Corbin, where can they reach you other than Quiet Speculation? Uh, I am on Twitter. I don't have a phone that does Twitter, unfortunately, but I use Twitter all, all day at a computer. It's uh, chostler88. Robert? Uh, you can meet me on Twitter under the Vimy. You can send emails to mascrude at gmail.com. And otherwise, outside of that, you can send all your hate to Jack at mtgcast.com. Yes, I and I'm openly accepting nude photos for Babe of the Day. I should probably say that right now. Yeah, you, well, I mean, you don't have to be naked, but, you know, it, it does make a difference when I'm selecting applicants. I Preferably not the listeners. <laughs> Preferably not our male <laughs> listeners. Yes. If your body hair exceeds <laughs> what's on your head, don't just don't even bother. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's been great, guys. Good night, folks. Thanks again, everybody.